Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? A verdict? Welcome to the John and Jordan on Justice podcast. Your weekly deep dive into personal injury and wrongful death law. Touching on everything torts, legal tech, trying cases to verdict, and the outlandish stories that come with them. And now, here are your hosts, John Fisher and Jordan Reed David. Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is uh, John Fisher, your host. We actually do not have Jordan with us today, but we do have a special guest joining us. That's actually our first guest, a, a non-lawyer guest, so we're really excited about that. It's um, it's Dave uh, Resigi, and um, he, just to give a little background on Dave, he began his career in financial service industries in August of 20, uh, 2007, and for the last 10 years, he's really been working in uh, leadership roles with both Northwestern Mutual, Mass Mutual, um, really a, a speaker uh, development for uh, entrepreneurs, their employees, um, and he's got his own, you know, like what began as a side hustle, but his, his firm now, the Resigi, uh, is it the Resigi group? Um, yep. yeah, he, and he is, uh, he, he labels himself as the chief shepherd and, and it's really interesting for his background. He actually, um, Dave attended the Moody Bible Institute where he received his bachelor's degree in, in double majoring in both Bible and youth ministry. And he serves on the board of both the Moody Bible Institute Alumni Association and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes for the South Atlantic region. He's been down here in South Florida. He's married um, to what he'll tell you as the love of his life. They've got three young children, um, eight all the way down to three. And, you know, he brings that aspect of growth and development in entrepreneurs and really kind of, and I say this with all sincerity, probably one of the most genuine and nicest individuals that I have met in my life or have the benefit of, of having met in my life. And so, you know, Dave, we're happy to have you on the show, um, you know, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, brother, thanks for having me. Excited to invest the time with you. Yeah, so I, I want to talk, you know, obviously we talk a little bit about, and what I want to kind of understand and, and for the benefit of the leaders is, you know, kind of give give us give us an idea of what what it is you do um, in terms of your working with entrepreneurs. Kind of like the uh, what was it the three thousand foot view uh, of what it is that yeah. you, you do um, kind of day to day. Yeah, man. So I'm 37. So I spent the first 10 years of my career right out of college working with two major like mutual life insurance companies that also do wealth management. And because of my 10 years with those companies, I just built relationships with. Uh, like franchise CEOs of financial planning firms that are spread out all across the country. So you name the company, uh, I've built relationship with them. And back in 2011, I, I started a side hustle. I just started coaching financial advisors and I was coaching them around a lot of different things. One was just like the level of activity that they need to do to bring in a, a significant client base. You know, secondly, I coached them around just like personal development things, their vision, their mission, their values, things like that. And then a third thing was I really started coaching them around uh, psychology of influencing people, like how when you're selling a product, how do you approach salesmanship without coming across ever as a pushy, aggressive, salesy salesperson? So, so that side hustle started with a coaching practice. And then I think back around like 2017-ish. I started traveling the country speaking, so doing motivational talks with financial planning firms. And uh, almost five years ago, I said four and a half years ago, I 
launched 100% on my own, the resting group. So 95% of my time is spent with financial planners, uh, either doing one-on-one coaching with them to help them build their business and business development strategy, or doing large group training with newer advisors so they can understand the business or motivational speaking within that, that world. So, uh, man, it's a blast. And we, you know, we run a pretty tight schedule this week. I mean, it's Friday right now at two o'clock. This will be my last meeting before we uh, do some uh, ballet stuff with my daughter this evening. But, you know, we'll keep 35, 40 meetings a week. And, you know, sometimes it's one person on the call. Other times there's 250 people on the call. Right. So most of it's Zoom unless we choose to travel. Right. Well, that's impressive, man. And, and, you know, it's it's interesting how it works out. What begins as a side hustle then becomes you know, really that, that your full time and attention to the business that you're running. So, so you now get the ability to help and develop entrepreneurs at the same time you are an entrepreneur running your business yourself. Exactly. Exactly. So so I want to talk a little bit about, um, a couple of things. And and I remember if you can remind me, what was the book that we, and, and for the benefit of the listeners, I've worked with Dave, we've met in a, um, a group through my partner, uh, Jordan or David. And so we, 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 we went through some of the things where he helped coach us and worked with some of our employees as well. What was the book? It was like the, what was it? The 12 week year or the 18 yeah. week? What was that? Yeah. The 12 week year by Brian Moran. Right. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. So, and, and so I guess it gets into that, that kind of the quarterly planning, right. Of like looking at your year as like, you know, we, we break them into quarters. So that's kind of like the, the 12 week process. What, what, you know, when, when it comes to entrepreneurs and we're thinking about, you know, what's the benefit of having that, that 12 week year, that quarterly planning in terms of your business development? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Brian Moran and Mike Lennington, who they've become friends over the years. Brian's a Michigan state alum. He kind of gets credit for being the author, but it's co-authored by Brian and Mike, you know, their whole concept is this idea of periodization, right? So, any, any business owner, anyone that's setting goals for a calendar, you know, if you think about setting goals over a 12-month period of time, it's really easy to let time slip away. And then all of a sudden, it's October and November, and you're only at 50% of the goal that you said that you had on January 1st of the beginning of the calendar year. So what they encourage is to set 12-week goals, and then in the 13th week, you recalibrate and plan for the the next 12 weeks. And the value of it is you're creating finish lines for yourself four times throughout the year. So there's always, it's almost like every week is a month. And now there's a higher level of urgency to actually create your outcome. So, so I use that personally for years for my personal planning with my business, with my personal life. And then from that framework, yeah, I personally do a process that I call the blended life. So right. I, I do three things on a quarterly basis. I do, I, I do quarterly rejoicing, quarterly reflection, and then quarterly re-blending. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about that today. But I, I think it's critically important to take some time out of the business or out of your life to focus on your life. It's like what Abe Lincoln said, right? If, if I have an hour to chop down the tree, I'm going to spend the first 45 minutes sharpening the ax. But you know, people like us, leaders like us, we are so busy just running that we don't take enough time most often to step out from what we're building and what we're creating and the impact we're making in the world or the success that we're striving to have or the families we're trying to build. 
to actually sharpen ourselves and be a better version of uh, of that process. So, yeah, and and I think like being an entrepreneur is tough, right? You know, if it was something that was easy, everybody would do it. Everybody would yeah. do it. And I think that people, what what they don't sometimes see, and I think why this like quarterly planning and things like this work is, it's good to have lofty expectation or goals, you know, you know, one year, five year, 10 year goals, right? Goals, ideals, yeah. aspirations, something to shoot for. But in terms of how you get there, those, if you, if you create the incremental steps of this is what I need to do for here, even for a month, you know, I found that to be better and effective because like you said, I personally will wait. Now, I don't want to say wait, but if I'm like, well, I have a whole year, I have 12 months. Okay. Now I got eight months Now I got six months and I got three months. Then you're like, wow, I got two weeks left. And then yeah. you look and you're not there. And so that, that really, from an entrepreneur standpoint, especially starting out, um, you know, and, and we'll talk a little bit about getting into entrepreneurship, but, it, but it, it, I think it's really helpful for us to be able to accomplish that. But I do, you mentioned the blended life, right? And, you know, I think that the simplest thing when you talk about the blended life, you're talking about this whole, this idea of work-life balance. Is that, that yeah. what we're, t- we're talking about? So like, I'll interject on that. I mean, a lot of people say they want work-life balance. And yeah. I, I, I think I know the heart behind that statement. Like I want work-life balance. But the reason I don't call it the balanced life and I call it the blended life is because like if you think about work-life balance, and this is, I mean, I hope your listeners aren't offended by me saying this, but like that's a myth. It's not possible. Think about balance, right? Balance is equal measurement equal weight like if there's a scale and it's perfectly balanced both of the platforms on the scale are going to be at the same level so in our lives you you think about everybody's life i personally think that and there might be 12 areas or 20 areas or five areas that of life that people value but i i categorize it in eight different areas i think we all value at some level our our families right our relationships with our family we value our friendships we value our careers. We value our financial life. I think we all value like educationally the things that we're learning. I think we value socially and culturally the things that we do for fun. I think we value our health and our fitness, like our overall nutrition. And then I think people value, you know, you could call it faith or you could call it community service or impact, or whatever we do to have inner peace in our life, right? right. So all of those areas of your life, you want to experience fullness of presence or fullness of joy or engagement and like alignment. But you think about uh, a a husband and wife that are having their first child and they go in to give birth today, right? Is it pretty safe to assume that they're probably going to be far more focused with their time on their family this week than maybe they are on getting the workout in at the gym or reading the book that they wanted to read or listen to the podcast, right? So, So you can take disproportionate levels of your hours or your time and give different amounts of time to different areas. And although that feels imbalanced, it's purposeful imbalance so that you can create a fulfillment in your life in those areas. So it's a, it's a purposeful, it's a purposeful pursuit. Yeah. And I think that's, that's sometimes that makes sense. You know, you've got situational times in your life where those eight things that you talk about are there the the importance is still there but the focus at that moment in time changes right um you know it's the same thing like for for me as a trial lawyer when i'm in trial you know my 
I don't want to say my fitness goes down because I still try to, to, to maintain some of that because I think that's important for a, a sound mind to have a sound body. But, you know, I'm not able, you know, sometimes I'm staying away from my family. I'm staying in a hotel. I'm not with my kids. And so the time and energy into that aspect drops off. And, you know, so it's, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't think we ever find a balance. You know, it's not a balance. It's, a, it's, it's like you said it before we were talking before the show. You said it was you find a balance of fulfillment, right? Yeah. And, it, and that doesn't mean time, right? You can spend right. time with your family in a, in a shortened, you know, a week or two weeks that could be so fulfilling and the same thing as that. And then the work's not there and, and vice versa. So I think that's really important <clears throat> for people to understand is that, you know, you don't have to force some kind of arbitrary balance, you know, but, but like you described it, having that blended life to find fulfillment in all of those different areas. I think that's great to, to, to consider. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you, like you think about, you think about a strawberry banana smoothie, right? Like, a strawberry banana smoothie is not going to have the same number of bananas as it does strawberries, right? It's different amounts. It's different weight, if you will, but you blend it together. It makes for a pretty good smoothie. So the same thing in our life, I might spend a different number of hours with my family this week than I do next week, because perhaps I'm traveling next week, but it doesn't matter the amount of time that you give to a specific segment of your life. What matters is, are you in those moments, in that rhythm of your life, are you fully engaged? Are you present in the moment? Yeah. Um, okay. I, I, I want to change, kind of change gears a little bit because you mentioned this before and it, it's something that's actually intriguing to me. You talked about the idea, and look, you work with financial planners, you work with people that, that do quote unquote sales. Um, <clears throat> and, and, you know, us as trial lawyers, like we're not, we're never, I'm never selling a jury, right? I'm not selling it, but I'm showing the same kind of similar traits. I have conviction in my client. I have conviction in that the product, so to speak, which is her injuries, her harms, their losses, what was taken from them, you know, mm -hmm. but you don't want to look to the jury like you're selling to them or you're being not pushy, but you're kind of, you know, I'm telling them how to vote, you know? So it's almost like the same thing with a sale. How is it that you... You know, when you're coaching your, you know, you know, the people to, to, to look and do sales without the appearance of, of making a sale. I mean, you know, to, to, to put it bluntly. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different ways that we could go with that. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm coaching any entrepreneur about building their business and acquiring new clients or winning a relationship. The first thing that comes to mind is what I'll say is borrowed trust. Right. Here's what I mean by that. We met through Jordan and through our other friend, Percy, right? right? The main reason that back, whatever that was, eight, nine years ago, however long ago it was that we first connected, might have been six years ago. I can't remember. But, you know, you put some level of trust that I could add value to you and your life and your law firm because of the trust that you already had in Jordan and in Percy, right? You, right. you respected them and they... Before I ever reached out to you, they said, hey, there's this individual that I really think you'd find value in a conversation with. His name's Dave. Here's what he does. I think you'd, I think you'd enjoy the conversation. So because of the credibility that people who you already respected, because of the credibility that they had had and they advocated on behalf of me to you, our rapport, our level of trust, I'll use the word intimacy, right? The, the level of intimacy that you and I were able to create and the connection 
early on into the friendship and the working relationship, it's so much better because of borrowed trust. So that's one thing. And then a second thought is, you know, you think about all these old adages of people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. Or, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should use it in that proportion, right? When you think about selling anything or you think about influencing any type of favorable outcome, the, the, the other adage is like seek first to understand and then be understood, right? When people truly know, and you can't fake this, man, when people know that you genuinely have their best interests at heart, and you've taken time not just to listen and hear them, but to truly understand them. Um, it, it, your, your ability to create that favorable outcome goes through the roof because of trust. Okay. So a couple, that's a couple of thoughts on it. So, so let me just ask you for, for my thing. So if I don't have the ability, like I don't get borrowed trust with, with jurors, right? I don't, I don't have anyone that's coming in and advocating. So if you're no. having to establish it in kind of the other ways that you've described, meaning... You know, we do jury selection. We talk to them. There's a lot of there's a there's a lawyer that I follow that talks about establishing a connection with the individual. Right. You're listening to them, talking to them, genuinely giving the appearance that you care and you really do. You you know, others around you see that the other jurors, I think, see that. And I think that that kind of blends into what you're describing as, you know, you're if you can show and you know, create that appearance that can, can kind of build that trust without having to have the, the borrowed trust that you described. So yeah, that's, that's, that's really well put. And, and it's very interesting because, you know, when I used to think in, in, in jury selection, when all the jurors would come in, I used to kind of be judgmental of who did I want. Now I come in saying that every single one of these people can be on my jury and can find justice every single one. And it's just, and I come in there from a position of love, not judgment, and, and kind of work my way through that and, and try to be and build that credibility. Because I think that's the most important you have is trust and credibility, you know, in any professional setting, not just uh, uh, being a trial lawyer. So um, the you, I want to talk about, you know, because you have you started your business. Two things I want to talk about. One is getting into business when you knew it was the time to really kind of take this side hustle and make it your your career, your, your, you know, everything you're doing, you're a full-blown entrepreneur, no safety yeah. net, just, just doing it. So I, I kind of want to start there, and then I want to talk about your growth over the years and kind of how you scaled the business, kind of two things. So what sure. was it, when you first got to that position, you're like, look, I've been doing this well now, I want to kind of take that leap and make this, this is my thing, right? You know, how did you go about doing that? I mean, did you have any fears, any apprehensions, you know, to kind of get it moving? Or were you just like, this is it, I'm all in, let's go and kind of push forward from there. Can you, know, can you talk yeah, a little bit about it? Yeah, everybody's story is going to be different. I mean, mine is a story of failing forward. So, and it, it's, it's unique because I was with a, a large organization in Miami. I essentially was doing coaching, training, speaking in-house for them. While on the side, I had this other business that was creating revenue and things. And that firm that I was with in Miami just got acquired. And in the acquisition, I asked for probably more than they were willing to ante up. So my position's just eliminated. So overnight, like safety net gone. And for years, I, you know, my mom and dad were both entrepreneurs. 
Right. Um, I do not like having a boss. I'm an upstate New Yorker, but I got kind of the attitude of somebody from Queens. My mom's from Queens, so I get that from her. And like, I just don't like people telling me where I need to be, when I need to be there, how much I can make and what my growth is tied to. So I had the desire for that, you know, running my own business and owning my own thing. But the, the fear was always there. I mean, my fear was like, am I even going to be able to get two firms to hire me to come speak to them this month? And all I needed was two firms a month in order to create the revenue we needed to like sustain. So, so I essentially lose my position and then am forced to decide, okay, do I look for another position similar? Because there's plenty out there. Or do I relocate to find something better? Or do I actually pursue my dream? And, and do what I feel called to do. And I'm so blessed. Like if you think behind me, there's a picture of my wife and my kids. So Jennifer and I've been married 12 years now. Right. I refer to her as the CEO of the recipe group. And that's the chief encouragement officer. You know, for me in my world, having the support of a partner in life that says, babe, you've always wanted to do this. You can do this. I trust you and I'm with you in it. So you know, I'm a man of faith. I mean, I prayed through it a while and I talked with Jennifer about it. And we just said, like, let's do this. Let's give it a go. The first day of running my company full time, 90% of our annual need for income was solved day one. So I went home that day. I was working out of a Starbucks, literally building my business out of a Starbucks yeah. that day. And I said, babe, I think we made the right choice. We're pretty good. So, um, you know, yeah, there's fear all the time. Like there's fear of, am I going to be able to do what I think I'm capable of? But, you know, good, good people ask, well, if you could go back and do it all over again, what would you have changed early on? And I said, man, I would have bet on myself sooner. Like the best bet that you can make, I believe, especially if you're entrepreneurs, you got to bet on yourself. You got to go all in on yourself. Do it in a prudent way, right? Like make sure you got reserves set aside, make sure your bills are taken care of, make sure the mouths are being fed, but like bet on yourself. So, um, so that was how we started out ton of fear with it, but it was the best decision we ever made. I wish we would have done it sooner, but at the same point, everything in its season, right? Like it happened at the time it was supposed to happen. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, I was going to say that that's a great story. And, and, you know, we, I've got to see you grow as a, as an individual personally and professionally, your family has grown, you know, and likewise the same for me, you've got to see, you know, my family grow, my business grow. So it, you know, it's, it's great that we can sit here and share this time with us because when you said, you know, you failing forward, like you kind of, that was it, you know, position eliminated sink or swim. Now's the time. Right. And I had a yeah. sim similar experience where I got fired knew it was coming, you know, kind of, you know, and I had, I had nothing. I mean, you, you at least had, well, I want to say you at least, you were doing it a lot longer. I was a year and a half out of law school. I had four clients and a laptop computer. And I was like, this is it. I'm, you know, and, and, you know, now here we are, gosh, nine and a half years later, you know, we've got a multi-state practice. I got a great partner. We've got, you know, amazing attorneys that work for me. And, you know, it, it to think about, what you say is bet on yourself. And I had that yeah. conversation with my wife. Well, I think at the time we were not yet married, you know, where she was like, I don't know, you're, you're still kind of new. What do you think? And I, and, and I actually went almost worked for a defense firm. They, it wasn't good. 
I went home. I was like, I think this is it. I think I got to go for it. And she was like, well, let's do it. You know, and, you know, she supported me and, you know, and, you know, that's, it's, it's incredible how it, when you think, if you let the fear hold you back, you're never going to reach your full potential. And it, once you do yeah. it like, like you did and to see you grow and, I mean, you had kids at the time. What year was it that you went? Was it 2017? That would have been, so it was five years ago this coming October. So it's 2022 right now. So yeah, 2017 when we launched it full time. So then you might have had just like a relatively new child, right? I've had the two, the two at the point because Charlie was born in 2014. Chazzy was born in 2016. So, so you, I mean, so you, you've got, you want to talk about fear. I mean, you've got your, you know, your wife, That'll scare you've, got, the crap you, you've got young children and you said, you know what, you know, you can do it and you did it. And so now fast forward five years, I mean, you know, your business has been growing. I think you told me what about 25% every year, you know, you've kind of been growing. Yeah. What do you, what do you, you know, what are some tips you have in terms of when you scaling, scaling your business? People talk about that. You know, what are some of the things that you, you kind of coach and promote and, and even through your own experience in terms yeah. of scaling your own business? Yeah. It, well, a couple of things. So like, yeah, I mean, it's ever since we started the side hustle, it's been 25% growth. I mean, in, in COVID in 2020, we grew by 67% that year when everybody else and not everybody else, but a lot of people are like just fighting to keep their business open. And like, I don't think much of that is me or even the trust that people put in me. I, I think a lot of that's just problems or sovereignty or whatever I'm going to call it, but it's like, it's hard work. It's determination. It's staying committed to the daily processes that create outcomes. So, you know, one, one thing from a scale perspective, is I stopped thinking that people are paying me for my hour, right? People don't pay me for the hour that I spend with them. People are paying me for the 15 years of work that I've put in to master some aspect of what I'm amazing at. Like there is something or maybe multiple things. And I don't mean to say this to sound arrogant. I've always been taught like pride goes before destruction. So I want to say this with a humble confidence, right? Like Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers. To become the best at something, it takes 10,000 hours of practice to truly master something. You know, when you're in your mid-30s, you have, you've put in, in some area, 10,000 hours of practice. So there's a few things, few things that I'm really great at that I hope to think I'm like top 1% in the world at. And it's those things that you're not paying me for my hours. You're paying me for the 15,000 hours that I've put in in order to be really great in this one hour in that one area. So having the courage just to ask or charge what I feel that hour is truly worth, it was one thing. Now, another thing for me, you know, I'm a speaker. So when I had my schedule laid out, bro, for 2022, I, I made a commitment with Jennifer. We talked through our travel schedule. And we said, how often do I want to be on the road? And we made a decision that I didn't want to ever be away for more than two sleeps a week, right? I, I, I wanted to tuck my kids in for bed and be with Jennifer at least like five nights a week. But we were okay at the rhythm of our family. We were okay with two. So that whole year, the, the 40, I don't know, probably 44 weeks that I was going to choose to work in the 2022 calendar year, because we take a significant amount of time off. Every single week was lined up perfect, dude. I had a city that I was going to be in every week for the entire year. And then COVID happens. 
And I, all these posts, when the, when the shutdown started, you know, as a speaker that travels, how much revenue do you think I brought in from in 2020 from speaking at a hotel ballroom on a stage? Like zero after like March of 2020. Mm-hmm. But there's all these posts that people put on social media. And one that I saw that I loved was about Fred Rogers, right? And Fred, Fred Rogers said like, you know, whenever I was young and I'd see bad things happening in the news, my mom would say, Fred, look for the helpers. There's always going to be helpers. So I had to take a step back and get somewhat creative and say, all right, how can I make the decision for somebody to leverage me and the work that I do with them an absolute no brainer for them, even from a financial perspective? How do I reduce my fee so that they can keep their employees so they're not laying off people, but they can pay me a fee that's realistic for them? but yet have a multiplier on income because instead of working with one organization at a time, I work with 10 in the same session. So we just looked at how do we get more people into the training that we do or into the events that we do. Um, and then we made the, the rate that we charged less to kind of show appreciation for people sticking with us. And yet at the same point, now you have 10 people on a call, you reduce your rate by two thirds, but you got 10 people well, now all of a sudden you've you got 333% growth on your revenue, right? So just getting creative and being adapt, being willing to adapt, yeah, that's I, huge. Yeah, I think that was what I was going to say. You, you, you found a way to adapt to the situation that you were presented with. Um, you know, we, we, we couldn't really because we were trial lawyers and there were no trials. Um, so yeah. what we, what, the only thing that we could do was focus on our cases get them to where they were. So as soon as trials were like the, the gates were released and we could try cases again. I mean, we've tried, I think we've tried six or seven cases now in, in a short yeah. amount of time, just getting as quickly as we can and everything's done. So we kind of, you know, internalized that and said, you know what, we can't get into trial. Let's get everything perfect and trial ready to kind of do forward. So, you know, you mentioned, I forget, I don't even remember what this was, but it was a saying about where someone saw a famous painter in a bar and was like, oh, can you paint me some? And he paints it on the napkin. And it was like, here you go. And I was like, how much? Is He's like, that's 20, like, you know, 2,500 bucks. And she was like, it's just a drawing on a napkin. And he's like, well, you're not paying for the napkin. You're paying for the years and years that I've done to put this together. That way I can put something to the, like this nice and even on a napkin. So yep. that, that to you is, is you know, something that you think about is that, you have put in the time and energy and effort to grow you as an individual to give you that opportunity to speak with people. And, you know, people are very like results oriented in terms of like they see the results, right? Like they see the entrepreneur like doing really well, but what they don't see is the road that it took to get there. Right. And, you know, we have, I mean, there's been times where, yeah, when, when, when COVID happened, I was like, are we going to survive? You know, are we going to make it? Um, have I, you know, and continually tried to grind to get where I'm at now, you know, people don't see that, right. Then they don't want to talk about like the journey, the hard times, you know, the sleepless nights, the, you know, the cutting down on things that you can do to, to get there. And so, you know, I think when you, when you look in the context of this is what I'm charging because of, I'd done all that, you know, you, you got to do it, you know, and, and you're obviously worth it. I mean, you know, you've worked, you came in and, and you know, I think this was, I, I don't know if that was in your side hustle or when you just started, but you came and met with my team and you were meeting with individuals. And, you know, I think that, 
that helped, you know, it, it helped a lot of people grow personally and professionally. And, you know, so that, that's something that I, I'm thankful that, you know, we were able to experience. Um, yeah, for sure. what's, I want to ask you this question. What are some of the, um, you know, could you coach, you know, professionals, obviously in the finance world, another thing, what, what are some of the common problems that you see in individuals, like in the development of business professionals? Like what are some of the common things, you know, is it, you know, they, that you see, is it, are they like, not, I want to say insecure, but they, you know, what are some of the struggles that you commonly see, you know, in your coaching practice um, of professionals? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and one thing is just a lack of execution, right? Like people, people know what they want, right? And they can tell you, here's what I want. Here's what, here's the result I want. Here's the desired outcome I want. But when you look at the app they put in on a daily basis and the, the consistency that they either have or that they lack on doing the things that are going to actually create the outcome, they're not doing the daily disciplines that are actually going to get them the result, right? They're not controlling 100% of the things that they are in control of to move the needle and create what they want. So that's one thing. Another thing in, is, man, I, I don't think enough people actually think long-term about what do I want three years from now, five years from now? Like when, when you say that people should have a vision for their future, right? Most people can answer the question, like, what are the things you want to have in your life in the future? What are the things you want to do in your life in the future? And who do you want to be, right? Like people could say, I want to have a lake house up on the West coast of Michigan, or I want to have, you know, an awesome, you know, Porsche 911 turbo convertible and I want a yellow one or that, you know, they can tell you all these things. But when you think about the things that you want in your life, most people say, you know, I want to have this, or I want to achieve this, or I want to do this. I want to go on a Mediterranean cruise. I want to backpack around Europe, right? And they word their vision in a way that still kind of pushes their vision out to the future. But what you got to do instead, at least in my opinion, I, I read an article from Inc. Magazine back in the early 2000s, it was published. And it was, it was by a guy that founded, uh, I think it's Delhi. I could be wrong on the name, but it's a deli up in, in Michigan. And he wrote an article called Step Into the Future. And he said one of the most compelling, inspiring things that any person can do is they can write their vision in a way as if they've already achieved it. So you step into the future. So for me, I'm 37 right now. My, my 2025 vision that I have written about the life that I'm trying to create over these next few years, the way it starts out is it says it's February 20th, 2025. It's 11 p.m. JW Marriott Marco Island, right? And I talk about being in the future, reflecting back on all the things that I've achieved over the last few years. And it's worded in a way as if I'm already achieving those things. I've already done that volume of business. I've already had those relationships. I already have that a physical fitness level. I've already mastered whatever it might be. And even though I haven't done those things yet, because it's things I want to do, when I read my vision in a way as if it's already been, been accomplished, mm -hmm. then that lights a fire under you to say, okay, this is really what I want. Yeah. What's required of me now? What is in my control right now that I can take action on today 
that when I pile on win after win after win after win, I will actually arrive at that destination. And a lot of people just, they don't have laser focus on all those things that they truly want. And they're just kind of winging it in their life. And, you know, the best thing about not, not planning is you're going to be accurate, right? Like it's, it's easy to throw a dart at the wall and then paint a, a dartboard around the dart and say, I hit the bullseye because you throw it at a blank wall and then draw a dartboard. Well, you, you didn't even know what you're aiming at. But it's another thing to say, this is exactly what I'm going after. And I'm going to count the costs and figure out what it takes to get there. Most people just don't do that. No, in my, in my experience. No. And I think that's, that's smart. And, and, you know, we, we kind of, you know, myself and Jordan, you know, we don't, we set kind of like financial goals in terms of this is what we want to be in this particular year, you know, and, and, and incrementally and have the growth, you know, which sometimes in art, it doesn't happen. Sometimes it's lower versus higher versus, you know, so it's, it's, it's good to have that. <clears throat> I do want to ask you this question because I, I remember when we worked together, didn't you have, you had the car, the model was, was it the Porsche 911 yellow? Is that the, or what was the car that you had that you were like, yeah, this it's is the 488. It's the Ferrari, the 488 GTB. Okay. So I have to ask, did you, have you fulfilled that yet or no? Or is that still on so the, actually, so actually the cool thing, the, the whole thing about the Ferrari was it's a yellow Ferrari. And like you, you don't generally see yellow cars out there mm -hmm. driving on the roads, but whenever you do see one, if out loud you say yellow, you'll start seeing yellow cars all over the place. And what that reminds me of, like every time I see a yellow car, regardless of what, it could be a Hummer, it could be a, a Volkswagen Beetle, it could be a Chevy Camaro, like any yellow car I see, when I say yellow out loud, I start seeing them all over the place. And it reminds me of things in my life that I'm blessed with, right? In the, in the midst of life, we can go through a ton of challenge, a ton of adversity and kind of a ton of normalcy. And we can forget all the things that we're, in our life that we're blessed with. So every time I see a yellow car, I ask myself in this very moment, what's one thing that I'm full of gratitude for? So that was the whole deal with the yellow Ferrari. My, my car, I, I'm not a car no, individual. No. Well, no, I just Frankly, remember, I remember that was one of the things that you had, had put and said, this is the, the thing that I'm going to put on your board. You also had, I think you did like a weight loss that if you had to run a certain number of miles per week that you would get yeah. there and reach those goals. I just remember those from our times working yeah. together of you shared this of like, you know, if my goal is I, I want to lose 45 pounds, well, but that seems like an immense goal. But then you said, OK, well, let me break that down to I know that I have to run <clears throat> seven miles per week, you know, and, or yeah. whatever it was to get to that goal in the next 12 months or whatever. So you, you broke it down to its shortest term of saying, you know, and and it's interesting that you do that because in, you know, I do. So I run some like ultra marathons and some of the longer races. And it's like, look, if I got to go out and run. 35 miles or 40 miles that seems like yeah. a lot but if you say well i'm actually only going i'm running eight five miles or i'm running 10 four mile tracks then it's yeah. you break them up into smaller components and it makes what could seems like something tremendously difficult i mean and it's still difficult but your mindset you know kind of in the in that smaller smaller thing um because i think as entrepreneurs and I'm sure you coach people on this is, is maintaining a good mindset. Like you, you've got to have yeah. entrepreneurs have a, have a unique mindset anyways, but having that in the application of your business and your goal setting, all of those things, you know, if you can compartmentalize that, you can make it not seem so, 
I don't want to say unachievable, but less yeah. less difficult, right? You can kind of trick your mind into believing that. So yeah, yeah. One of, one of my good buddies, he he says, and I think he's quoting somebody by saying this, but he he would say all the time, "What most messes with our mind is being or doing less than we can be or do." Right. We so when it comes to goal setting and execution, like I'll give you an example from last year. Back last summer. I was 191.4 pounds right about July 4th. And I, in my vision, I am a healthy, energetic fit, 174.9 pounds. That's how I word it in my vision. So I made a commitment by December 31st of 2021, I will be 174.9 pounds or lighter. And I made this all about health, not necessarily weight loss, right? It was about health. But what I did is I made a commitment. So think about this, man. A lot of people have goals. Fewer people have commitments. There's a big difference between a goal and a commitment. Think about for a second. Think about a McDonald's bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit sandwich. Super unhealthy, I know, okay? But McDonald's bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit sandwich. There's three animals involved in the making of this sandwich, right? You got a chicken, you got a cow, and you got a pig. But they all have different uh, involvements in it, right? The chicken contributes to the sandwich. It lays an egg, right? The cow produces the dairy, contributes the cheese. But what does the pig do in that sandwich, right? It's all in. The pig is the bacon, right? It sacrifices. It's give, it gives its life, right? It's fully committed. Think about this another way. Goal and a commitment. When I travel... Jennifer, my wife, right? Would she rather me have a goal to stay faithful to her in our marriage or a commitment to stay faithful in our marriage? Big, big difference, right? So I made first and foremost a commitment to 174.9 pounds, but then you have to count the cost. So what I had to look at was what is required of me to actually get there. So you look at what net caloric intake do I need to be at every day? How many laps do I need to swim in the pool every day in order to get that net calorie at the end of the day? How many miles do I need to walk, jog, or run? But here's the other thing, and I'll finish this segment on, the, on this thought. When you make a commitment and you say, I will do something, whatever it is that you're committing to, you have to set up your environment to ensure success, right? It, I would call it a follow-through plan. Like you have to have a plan in place to make sure that you guaranteed are going to hit the commitment because it's not a goal, it's a commitment. So here's what I did. I, I'm big on carrot stick, right? I want to have a reward and I, I want to have a consequence. So for me, I went to Jennifer and the kids out at the little breakfast table in our little breakfast nook area. And I said, hey, family meeting, daddy wants to tell you all something. Daddy made a promise to himself. Now, my kids are eight, five, and almost three. My youngest will be three tomorrow. I said, Daddy made a promise to himself. You know what a promise is? A promise is when you say you're going to do something and you definitely do it. So he made a promise to himself that I was going to get healthy. I made it about health, not weight loss. And I said, here's the thing. Daddy's going to be this level of healthy by, by Christmas. And when, not if Daddy gets there, when Daddy gets there, guess what we get to do? we get to do an extra special two-day trip to Disney. Now, here's the thing. I said, Charlie, Chas Cameron, if we don't, if daddy doesn't get healthy, we don't get to go to Disney. And we're actually going to give those special tickets to friends of ours and we don't get to go. So there was a reward for them 
and there was a consequence for them. And I said, you need to ask daddy every day, daddy, how are you doing? Are you healthy? Are you healthier? Are you healthier? So they're asking me. So that was, that was leveraging my family. But then for me personally, I had another follow through plan. And I said, all right, in the unlikely event that I'm not 174.9 pounds, I have to word it that way. In the unlikely event that I'm not, that I don't follow through on the commitment. I said, I'm going to write a check for $5,000, which like, I don't care how much money you make. Five grand is not a small number, right? So I'm going to write a check for $5,000. I'm going to make it payable. And there's an organization that I completely disagree with. I said, I'm going to make this check payable to that organization. I'm going to write a handwritten note and I'll mail it to them, thanking them for all the awesome work that they do. <laughs> Dude, there's no way. No way. I, that would be the equivalent, okay? That would be the equivalent of a Democrat sending a check to the Republican National Convention or vice versa. That would be a, a Florida fan sending a check to Georgia Bulldogs football or a, a Mets fan sending money to the Braves organization. Like, you just, you're not going to do it. I would rather go through the pain of doing what I said I'm going to do than go through the pain of, of that. And dude, there's no way ever that Jennifer's letting me send a check for five grand unless she and I want to send it to somebody. So, you know, things like that, when you got to put in the extra work on December 2nd or December 3rd and you don't want to, you, you're going to get your butt in gear and move. So, so yeah. some thoughts on execution. I like that. And by the way, the Braves would be a great organization for you to send money to. So just no uh, way, dude. They just throw <laughs> Watch the how many games back are the Braves right now, and that's, the Phillies, and the Marlins, and that's the Nats. All right. So did, didn't didn't Lindor just uh, hurt himself with a door and he out? He slammed his finger in a door. Max is out. Jake's <laughs> out. We better at least win some of these games out on the Gosh, West Coast this weekend. The Mets in their doors. Well, you, you know, put that on your list. To, you know, take those away from them. <laughs> Um, just for everyone, I'm a, I'm a huge Braves fan and he's a Mets fan. So it's, it's good to talk about. I was, I was talking about that with Justin earlier about, uh, talking about Braves and Mets. And so I'm glad we got to put that in there a little bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit, kind of the last thing, you know, before we go and, you know, you, you have a, a spiritual background, right? You, you went to, you know, you know, seminary school. I think I'm obviously it's for wedding, but you are an, an ordained minister, um, so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of spirituality and faith through your work. Sure. I, I know it's not, you know, a lot of people think like spirituality means like you're, you know, impressing upon others, your beliefs, things like that. And and that's, that's not what it is, but in terms of like the community that, that it, it fosters and, and that kind of aspect, how is it that you, you know, you use that, you know, you describe yourself obviously as the chief shepherd in your business. How is it that yeah. your, your spirituality comes into play with your work, your coaching, working with people, things like that? Um, how does that come into play? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the question. I mean, so I studied at a Bible college to be a youth pastor and I thought I was going to work with high school kids. Right. And then my senior year, a preacher came in and said, if you could see yourself doing anything other than ministry, don't go into ministry. And I looked at my buddies, I'm like, he's preaching to me. I'm going to go into business. So, uh, so I still serve in areas, but one of the ways that I see it come up most in, in my work or just in life, right, in the, in the professional community, it's, it's very rarely going to be explicit, right? Like my platform when I'm speaking or coaching, like the invitation is not for me to proselytize or it's not for me to like say, here's what you should believe. That's not why I'm there. So it's never going to be explicit, but implicitly people are going to know that it's a value of mine. So the simplest way 
I think any business should have a mission, a vision, and values. So my number one value, like if, if I look over to my right on my desk, like I got this like frame and it's got the six core values of the rest of the group. And it's, we've got faith, family, identity, intentional gratitude, stewardship, and vision. Well, faith's number one. Now, the way I define that is going to be different than how somebody else does. Like I define it as my personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the abundant life and the identity that I have with him. So somebody else might say, I completely disagree with that. And I don't value that at all. And that's their prerogative, right? But in the business world, there is so much opportunity to align yourself with any type of individual. Mm -hmm. And I personally just made a decision that if somebody is completely opposed to working with me because of what I value, that is okay. That is a great choice for them. And if they're opposed to working with me because of what I value, that's one of my core values. So if they're completely against that, it's probably better right. for us to live in peace with each other and not work together. And that's okay. But also I want to be not abusive in how much I put it in front of somebody, but very transparent that that is a priority to me because I find more often than not, I get more relationship, more conversation, more vulnerability in conversation with people where they say, Hey, listen, like I think differently than you do on this, but I'm just curious, what do you think about this? And how does, how does your faith view this. So it comes up in conversation and I just view myself as an encourager, man. So like for me, that aspect of my life helps me, helps me help people think with more of a, like, let's say an eternal perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that your background, you know, as wanting to be a youth pastor, right. Which means, you know, you have a sincere desire to be there for other individuals, not just on a professional level, but really on a personal level, right? Like, you know, you know, a minister, a person of faith, you have so much responsibility to provide support, encouragement, comfort, love, all of those things that, you know, when you apply that to your business coaching, you know, you kind of maintain those same desires, right? You know, we had the opportunity to work together, you know, um, in the past, and we went through, you know, when we were looking at that blended life, all of those eight things. And, and at that time and in that moment in my life, you know, my wife, we now have the benefit of two kids, but we were going through a period of time in our life that we were having extreme difficulties getting pregnant, which is a, yeah, ter- it's a terrible thing for, for an individual to go through in a family. You know, it, it, it's hard on the relationship. It's hard on the individual, you know, and I think that a lot of times as, as men, and I don't want to say it's a men or a thing. I, I think anybody in general, they, the people don't want to talk about, you know, problems or things that they're facing or the, the negative aspects of that. But that can affect yeah. you in business, right? And your, yeah. I had the opportunity to share with you and really open up about the things that I was struggling with in, within the discussion of, of business development. Of like, because we said, here's all, what are, what are your goals? You know, what is your, you know, things that you want to see happen in your in your fitness, in your personal life, in your family life, all of those eight different categories, you know. And so when I was able to share with you, you know, some of the things that I was dealing with, you know, your background, I feel like really, you know, that, that, that community aspect of it really allowed me to be, I don't know, I don't want to say comfortable, but I mean, you know, I, you were, 
we were relative, I don't want to say relative strangers, but we didn't know each other for that amount of time. And I was able to open up and kind of share with you something that I, I hadn't really been sharing with a lot of other people. And so, yeah. and, and I think that as entrepreneurs and professionals, sometimes we, we, we find, I think we find it difficult to express with others our fears, the problems, things that we're going through, and we kind of bottle it up and keep it close to the chest. And, you know, you kind of mentioned something. You, you said it. Oh, I'm going to mess it up. You said, what did you say, it, running 400 meters with a 250-pound vest on? You know? Yeah, when we, when we talked earlier this yeah. afternoon, yeah. So, yeah. So, well, yeah, imagine running a 400-meter race and you got a 250-pound vest on. It's going to be pretty hard, but you take that vest off and you're unfettered and now you can just run. Like, sometimes we need to open up about the heaviness and the weight that we're going through in life to somebody that genuinely cares about us so we can have freedom to go. And think of it, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but like, no, no, it's fine. there's a big difference between being able to sympathize with somebody and to be, an, be able to empathize, right? Like sympathy would be me just saying to you when we were sitting, I think at Seasons 52 or wherever we were, dude, it might've been your office, I forget. No, but I like, think, I think we, were at the, we were at the Intercontinental Hotel. We were in the lobby. Oh, we were in the lobby of the Intercontinental in, Hotel. In, that's exactly right. By that yeah, for sure, I, that's right. So um, that's exactly right. So um, I could say, man, John, I'm sorry you're going through that, man. That's got to be hard. That's sympathy. Empathy is like literally putting myself in your life as if I'm you. And even if you haven't gone through the same challenge, like, you know, in, in my marriage and in starting our family, I don't even know if you ever knew this. At the time, you didn't know it. You know, Jennifer and I lost our first Jude in a, in a miscarriage. So that was before that conversation. And I think sometimes we go through pain, challenge, those things that we might not want to open up about. And we go through those things. So we're in a position to empathize with other people who go through them after us. And we can walk them through those waters that we've already been through. And it's really challenging, man. And it's like every single person out there, dude, I, I'm going to try to, I won't get emotional about this. I can talk about this without getting all upset, but this in the last 12 months, I had a very good friend take their life, mm. you know, and there's a lot, you treat the majority of people like they're hurting. You're going to be treating the majority of people correctly. And yeah. people like for me yesterday, I had a call with my therapist yesterday afternoon and just saying, and Mike, my therapist, I said, Mike, I want to work with you just because I want to have somebody to talk to yeah. that I really can just be vulnerable with because I know I can talk to Jennifer about everything I'm going to mention to you. Like she and I are an open book, but like, I just don't want her to have to carry this with me. I don't want to, I want to carry it with you. Right. right. So yeah, you got to leverage people like that. Have a therapist, have a, like for me, that's part of the reason I coach people, right? I'm a, I'm a tax deductible therapist in a way, right? Like yeah. it's part Part of what I do is hear people's story and help them navigate it and walk through it. And what people want more than anything is they don't want your advice on even how to get out of what they're going through. They just want you to care. They want you to, they want, they want you to listen. They want, want to feel listen. understood and, and have that human connection, you know? Yeah. What, what was this? And, and that's the thing. What was the saying that you said earlier about you can't have an understanding yet to understood? What was that expression? That yeah, you got to seek first to understand and then to be understood and how, you know, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And, and I think that's true. I think that a lot of times and even in, you know, in business and with our clients, I mean, like 
being able to listen to someone, like truly listen, you know, find out what they're going through. You know, we deal with our clients. It's not just, oh, you were hurt. Like, no, no, like, what has this done to you? What has it, you know? And so having that ability to, to really to listen and, and you did it for me and it was great. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I fully and, and wholeheartedly recommend that if anyone, you know, for personal and professional development is, is to, to work with you. I mean, it, it's been beneficial and, you know, in my life and, you know, personally and professionally. And then, you know, and so, um, it's true, man. You, you know, you got to have someone that you can can speak with, and, and you know, especially as an entrepreneur, you're going to be facing many challenges, personally, professionally, health, all of those things, and really having someone to to kind of work with, share with, and and grow with a mentor or otherwise, or a, a you know professional coach like you, is provides tremendous value, and I think that we need you know that kind of thing. So, um, for sure. But listen, Dave, I, I gotta. I know it's Friday. It's late. I actually gotta. You know, my wife is here texting me. I gotta go pick up my son. It's about that time. Um, <clears throat> so I, so I want to thank you again for coming on. Now, listen, do you? Um, I usually give you an opportunity. Do you have any way of that? Uh, our, our listeners, if they want to get in touch with you, obviously we're gonna put your, you know, your information in the the video. But in terms of social media numbers, like if they want to get in touch with you, how is it that they would get get and reach out to you, Dave? Yeah, e easiest way from a social media perspective, LinkedIn from a professional standpoint, if you just search Dave Resigi, you'll find me. I'm on there. Uh, you can go on our website, which is just the resigigroup.com. We'll put that in there because that's a, a mouthful, but the resigigroup.com, my contact info is on there. There's a button that you can say, hey, set perfect. up a call with Dave and happy to pop on a call. All right, perfect. Well, look, Dave, thanks for, uh, thanks for stepping on the show and thanks for everyone for tuning in. My pleasure, bro. Great being with you. Thanks for checking out the John and Jordan on Justice podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, consider leaving us a review and be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with John and Jordan, check out at on Justice pod on Instagram and Twitter or check out discord for plaintiffattorneys.com to communicate with them and like-minded plaintiff attorneys in a private discord server. Until next time, this is the John and Jordan on Justice Podcast. Oh